0: Episode 5, Money Under
1: 30. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom.
0: Hey Chainers and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today we have David Williver with us. David founded Money Under 30 in 2006 as a way to document his efforts to pay off $80,000 of debt and to provide a resource to help young adults make financial decisions with confidence. David is a graduate of Bates College and worked previously at Smart Money Magazine in New York. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. David, let's jump right into some questions. So tell us a little bit about your personal life.
1: Ah, uh, sure. Well, um, I am uh, married and have two kids. Um, Molly is seven and Elliot is four. Uh, so we live we live here in Maine, uh, kind of a quiet little town just uh, outside of Portland. And yeah, so i I run money under thirty, and um, my wife also works, and we uh, we just kind of enjoy uh, living in Maine and uh, all the outdoors activities that uh, that affords us and. Uh, yeah, just kind of uh um other than that, average little uh family life.
0: Fantastic. Katie's actually from Maine as well.
1: <laughs> oh awesome. I don't think I realized that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um talking about money under thirty, how did that get started?
1: Uh so money under thirty, I went in two thousand six I was I was twenty-five. And um I uh my first job out of college was at this magazine called Smart Money. Um which unfortunately is no more, but at the, at the time it was a monthly, uh, personal finance magazine, similar to money magazine. And I was there and I was, you know, doing editorial research and writing some stories and kind of being exposed to personal finance. Uh, even though at the time I was a mess financially, um, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Uh, and anyway, I, I left that job and I left New York city and and moved back home with my parents. Um, primarily for financial reasons. And I went on to do some other things for work, but it was a couple years after that, that I was starting to realize that I needed to tackle my own finances and get out of debt and start making some better decisions. And it was around that time that I said, why, why not write about this? Um, just in the chance that I might be able to help someone else who's going through this. I I also felt that, you know, what I'd learned at smart money and what I'd seen from a lot of the uh, financial publications of the time was that all of this advice was geared towards older adults who were close to retirement or retired because they're the people that have assets and the financial advertisers, the investing companies and banks, they want to target people with assets. So I, I saw this, Gap, yeah, I guess, in financial information uh, for people my age, and that's kind of where the idea for the site came from.
0: Fantastic. Speaking about being a little bit younger, if you could go back and give the eighteen-year-old version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I would. There's a part of me that always says, "Well, a lot of my problems came from from credit cards and just mismanaging." credit cards. Uh, so I've, I've always answered this kind of question well. like, obviously I would tell myself, you know, don't use credit cards and, and, and you know, you responsibly. Um, but it, as I've gotten older, I also think about, well, you know, I'm really glad in a way that I, I started money under 30 and you know, that's all worked out well. And so I sometimes mm-hmm. think that if, if I had, fo- if I had followed that advice, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, <laughs> uh, so but but I do think I mean that's true fin- financially speaking it was you know just that concept of of don't spend money you don't have um and that getting into that habit at an early age is what created the chain reaction that led to kind of all my difficulties early on so it would be a good one
0: Right so just being a little bit more dedicated with your spending and just living within your means really
1: Exactly and it's so basic it's you know it's the golden rule of personal finance but it all comes back to that and unfortunately, you know, my kind of overspending, it started at a very young age, like probably when I was 18. And it was little things like going out to a dinner with my girlfriend. um, And then doing that, you know, several times a month (laughs) when, you know, so the the absolute amounts of money I was spending weren't that impressive. It might have been you know, $100, but it was $100 I didn't have because I only earned $300 in a month, you know, working right. my part time job or whatever. So the absolute amounts of money weren't that big, but they, they created a habit <laughs> that continued in college. And then it continued when I graduated and was living on my own. And that's when the dollar amount started to tick up. And it got, you know, it just started snowballing from there.
0: That definitely makes sense. The little little cents add up to dollars very, very quickly if you spend a lot of cents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So on moneyunder30.com, you have a section about buying cars, Everything, something that everyone hates. What types of mm-hmm. tricks do you have for buyers that may be in the market right now looking to buy a car?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. It's um, I actually started writing about cars because there's an interesting... Uh, when I, when I moved back from New York, um, after I'd worked at the magazine, um, I needed a job. Like I kind of moved back without a plan, uh, you know, very, uh, 22, 23 year old, uh, thing to do. (laughs) And, um, I needed a job. And so the, the very first job I got, uh, I, I found could walk right into basically was at a Honda dealership, uh, selling cars. And, um, I, I ended up not doing it for very long, but I, I did it for a bit, and, you know, that was an interesting experience to kind of see behind the curtain of, of how dealerships work. Um, but it's also been an area of, of personal interest over, over the years. I, I like cars. Um, I also think it's one of the big early financial decisions a lot of people make. You know, they they might not buy a house for many, many years, uh, but a car might be the first major purchase someone makes on their own. Um, and, and so as far as advice, I've, I've spent a lot of time kind of studying and I have some friends who are still in the car business Um, down to, you know, fortunately we have vast amounts of information today on the internet. Um, And it comes down to really being informed before you make any decisions. And it's not just about the car. It's um, obviously you've got to know what the right price is to pay for your car so you don't overpay. But a lot of it comes in into the financing too, if, or, or how you pay for it. I mean, if, if you can pay cash, great, but if you're going to be financing or if you're considering leasing to really understand the costs involved in that and how much more you'll pay if your credit isn't excellent, uh, because that th- those financing costs can add hundreds, if not thousands to the price of the car. Um, and a lot of people think of it almost as an afterthought. You know, They spend all this time picking the right car, negotiating on the price of that car, and then they get in to sign paperwork, and they take out a loan, you know, for six years at ten percent, you know, something crazy, right. um, where they're spending thousands of dollars that they, they shouldn't be.
0: It makes sense. So speaking about leasing, the good old and that, or the good old decision, buying versus leasing. How do you make that decision personally?
1: Yeah, so that's like it's interesting. This is always a really controversial uh, personal finance issue, <laughs> and here is my take. My take is that for most people, most of the time, always buy and, and particularly always buy a, a used car. And that can mean different things. That doesn't mean that you have to, you know, buy the cheapest car you can afford. A used car could be a one-year-old car with 15,000 miles on it, you know, so it's practically new, but you're saving that depreciation. You're just not. Because my buddy who still works in the business uh, likes to say everybody drives a used car because (laughs) the second you you drive it off the lot, it's used, right? And so the value of it, even if you bought a car today, put five miles on it and tried to sell it tomorrow, it would be worth a couple thousand dollars, several thousand dollars less than you paid, right? So for most of the people, buy a used car. The where leasing comes in, like and I, I don't want to say never lease because there are specific situations. One, it may not be that common, but it does happen. Uh, let's say you really legitimately only need a car for a year or two. Let's say you live in New York City and you take a you know a two-year job in Iowa or something, you know, or or basically anywhere other than New York or a big city where, where you do need a car but then you're going back to New York and you're not going to need the car again. Okay. That makes sense to lease. There are some situations where if you're using a car for business, you can actually write off lease payments. That's a scenario. And then the final one where leasing kind of comes into play is for someone who's rich enough to pay cash for any car they might want, they might want to actually lease. And, And that sounds a little silly, but it's kind of like if you're going to spend if you're going to spend money on a car like if you're in the place where you want a brand new car and you have the money to afford it and you know you're kind of paying for that newness but you don't really care in that sense you might lease because leasing will make more sense than buying a brand new car and trading it in every 3 4 years you know you really would have to keep a new car for a number of years past that for it to kind of work out. So that's not to say that the average person should go and and lease a car because I said, Oh, it's, it's cheaper than buying a new car. Uh, I think you need to think long and hard. Like that's really for people with, with money to burn, so to speak, if that makes sense.
0: That does make sense. David, money under 30 has become an amazing international resource that's helps tons of people each and every day with their finances. You talk about having an $80,000 student debt that you personally had. So let's dive into you for a change. What did you actually do to get rid of your debts?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for those kind words. Um, first of all, uh, kind of, uh, humbled by, um, you know, kind of what money under there to come and thank you for that. So, so yeah, I had this, I, at the peak, I had $80,000 in debt. Um, and it was, uh, it was a combination of, of some big student loans, uh, but also some credit card debt. As I, as I mentioned, I, I ended up um, charging a, a bunch of uh, credit card debt. So, you know, I, I started putting on debt when I was 18, when I signed my first student loan. And I, I probably had a small credit card balance even back then. Because as I said, it's st- that pattern of overspending started very young. in just little increments, but it started to add up. And it was right around when I I started Money Under 30 in in late 2006, early 2007, where the debt was catching up with me, and I was finally, for the first time, having a hard time kind of keeping all the balls in the air. So I was starting to run up against credit limits on some credit cards. And I, for the first time in my life, missed a, a payment, made a payment late. And so Up until that that day, I I had all this debt, but I somehow managed to always make the payments and always be able to, you know, afford whatever came my way somehow. And all of a sudden, that was in jeopardy. And I I kind of realized, I said, okay, this is bad. I've got to deal with this. And so that's when I I kind of said, I'm going to resolve to pay this off and kind of be debt-free as fast as humanly possible. And I was lucky. I was still, I wasn't married yet. Um, you know, no, no family. I was still, you know, young and kind of unattached. So what I, what I could do was basically work, you know, work as much as I needed to work. And, um, and I did that by um, getting a second, second job, uh, at a Starbucks. And so I had, by this point I had a, a new career kind of at a, um, in marketing And so I I worked that during the day. And then I, every day, but three or four days a week, would drive and work a four-hour shift at Starbucks and do another shift on the weekend. So that started generating a a decent amount of money that I could just put completely towards my debt, which started accelerating things. And so I I kind of, I did that. And I also, I really got motivated at at work, obviously, because I I wasn't in a super high-paying job yet but I wanted to be. And so I, I started really hustling at my office job and, um, and that led to a couple of promotions. So I was able to, between, the, between getting that job at Starbucks and kind of hustling my way to a couple of promotions, within that three-year period, I was able to significantly increase my income. And throughout that period, I reduced expenses at the same time. So rather than kind of our typical MO of the lifestyle inflation that comes with you get a raise and you end up spending that raise. And, you know, you're happy at one point renting a room in a place with four other roommates. And then all of a sudden you need a whole house and a picket fence and a yard and a lawnmower and all that stuff. So this (laughs) happens to all of us. But um, at that point in life, I was very disciplined about saying, okay, I'm going to earn more money next year than I'm doing now. And I'm going to spend less. And so it was creating that, that larger gap between what I was earning and what I was spending and putting it all towards my debt. And so that, you know, that worked out and, um, in about three, three years and a few months. So by the time I was 29, um, I had paid it all off.
0: Fantastic. That's awesome. So what would you recommend to a person who's trying to raise or improve their credit score?
1: Yeah. So we get that question a lot on money under 30. So there's two ways to look at it. And I guess it it depends um, I mean the advice for maintaining a good credit score is going to be the for everybody. But I take a look at it depending on whether you're just starting out and you don't have any credit yet or whether you've mistakes and you need to kind of rebuild that score. So in in that situation if you've if you have a credit score but you've made some late payments, or maybe you got a big hospital bill that you didn't pay and it went to collections. And so your score has been dragged down by some negative data. In this case, you want to, first of all, focus on resolving the issues that got you there. So if you're paying late, get caught up. If you have a charged off or collections account, figure out a way to pay that and it's not going to go away but it's better to have a resolved negative record than an active one. So once you've got that, once you've got out of the situation that got you there in the first place, you want to do two things. You want to pay every bill on time and you want to keep your debt as minimal as possible. So if you have credit cards, there's nothing wrong with using them but you want to one, pay them off every month, but not only that, but you don't want to have a large balance, even if you're going to pay it off. Because what the credit bureaus do is they look at how much credit do you have total and how much are you using? And the higher that ratio is, the worse it is for your score. So you want to keep that as low as possible. And you do that by keeping your credit card balances as low as possible. And that can mean, so even if let's say you've got to spend $10,000 in a month, but um, you're going to pay it all off, you actually might want to pay that off before the billing cycle closes uh, so that $10,000 doesn't get reported to your credit. That's just that's something some people don't realize is that even even when you're paying your cards in full, that those balances at the end of the month actually will go on your credit score. So the other part of that is, if you're just starting out, you need to. It's a catch twenty two where you need to get a credit account to build credit, but you have a hard time getting a credit account without credit. So a few ways you can do that. uh, You could obviously um, get a cosigner for a loan, uh, but again, you don't want to take out a loan just to take out a loan. So usually, what I recommend is. If you've got a parent who's willing to put you on their credit card account as an authorized user, this basically adds your name to an account that's in their name. Uh, So you're not responsible for the account, but the credit information will be reported for you as well. This assumes that your, your parent of course is using their credit responsibly and that credit card responsibly, because if they do bad things with it, it'll hurt you. But assuming they're managing it well, you'll begin to build credit that way. And finally, if you're on your own, I think there's no better way to build credit from scratch than a secured credit card, which is very a, a very low risk way of starting a credit history because you basically, you get a, a credit card, but you have to make a deposit. So in a way, it acts more like a debit card because you're putting money in before you can use it, uh, except unlike a debit card where every time you charge it and it takes money out of your account... They let the money sit there, and then you have to pay month. And basically, you get your deposit back when you close the account. So it works works more like a credit card, but you're not going into debt because you've put the money aside already, if that makes sense. And it'll help you start building
0: credit. That does make sense. When I personally um, went for my first credit card, I ended up doing the secured route because that was the easiest way for me to get a credit score um, I didn't know anyone when I got to the United States and as a result no one would lend me money but if you have that yeah. secured credit card then yeah you're able to basically build up your own credit score I-, I think that it took me about nine months before they gave me an actual credit card but yeah it's definitely worth starting off small and you know just being responsible that and showing that the lending organizations that you are responsible and you can take care of your credit card.
1: Right. And right, it's it's a win-win obviously the banks like it because it's they're getting to test you out before they lend you money. Uh, but also if you've never had a credit card before it's a great way to just get comfortable with the idea of making a charge now that, you know, the money hasn't come out of your account but you then at the end of the month you do need to to pay it. So um that, that takes a little practice for sure. So I think it's a I think those secured cards are a win-win.
0: Definitely. So it seems like side hustles are a very new big thing that's been going on. You personally work for Starbucks to raise a bit of extra cash to pay off your student loans. Are there any other side hustles that you'd recommend that are quite easy to start and pay well?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. That might be a tough combination that are both easy to start and, and pay well. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, one thing I, I see so much written about side hustles today, and a lot of time. It's talked about in the context of entrepreneurship. So you know you, you hear about people doing side hustles where they're basically starting a little mini business, um, and which is great. And it, it's kind of what I ended up doing with, with Money Under 30 as it turned into a business. But uh, I think also people need to realize that you could, you could do what I did too and just go out and get a part-time job. Um, especially right now where uh, the US economy is um, going pretty good. And, uh, with the holidays coming up, I know like all the major retailers are looking for kind of that seasonal help. So that's a great way to just, especially if you only have to commit to a few months to go earn a little bit of extra money. And I think, you know, if you, you know, if you could clean yourself up and present yourself well, I think you should be able to walk into one of those seasonal retail jobs. As far as, you know, other side hustles, I think I think it pays to look at it too, you know, if you're gonna do something entrepreneurial, to do something that one, you enjoy, and two, has the has a long-term potential, if if not as a full-time business someday, just something that you could keep as a side hustle for a long time and enjoy doing it. And so that may not be something you can just wake up tomorrow and start doing. It may take some thought, but if you can find uh, specific skills that you have that other people are willing to to pay you for, then you can build a business out of it. And, and it could be anything. Uh, one example that, that came to mind is I have a friend who's been, she's been very successful running triathlons and she will place and, you know, sometimes win triathlons. And she has started coaching other people that want to either run their first triathlon or start to get competitive. And she's done a good job of, you know, there's a lot of people out there that might offer personal training or coaching or whatnot, but she's made it very specific in that she's targeting triathletes. So I think that's a, a, it's an interesting example of how to take something you're passionate about that other people are interested in and kind of make a niche side business out of it.
0: Fantastic. We're just going to jump straight into our value link round after a very quick thanks from our sponsors. Chainers, if you're looking for any information for anyone that has appeared on the Chain of Wealth podcast, head over to chainofwealth.com and hit the search bar, type in their name and hit enter and their show notes page will pop up. The show notes page is designed to give you all the relevant information from the show and really recaps everything in a short and concise format. There are links galore to the people's individual websites, their Facebook pages, Twitter profiles, and much more. So head over to chainofwealth.com and search for whoever's being interviewed. And welcome back to our Value Link Round. David, what books or other podcasts do you recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah. So, um, the one book that always comes to mind, um, I always recommend people read is called the investment answer and it's a very short book. Uh, it's only about 80 pages. I think you could probably read it in an hour and it was written by a a financial, uh, advisor banker who, uh, sadly was, was dying and kind of wanted to impart his wisdom and and it basically is a very simple case for index investing, and it, it presents very clearly exactly what you need to know about long-term investing uh, and nothing you don't. So I think you know, not everybody's going to be as interested in money as, as you and I are, and that's totally okay, but you have to know enough so you don't get taken advantage of. And that's very true in investing. And I think this, this little book is a very quick, non-technical read uh, that can give like an, the average person the confidence to go put some money into the stock market. So I think that's a that's a good one. As far as podcasts, like, there's a, another podcast, I, a money podcast, I recommend people check out uh, the Dough Roller Money podcast run by a friend of mine, Rob Berger. And he has something like 200 uh, plus episodes and he talks about all personal finance, but with a little bit of a, um, a bent towards investing. Uh, so definitely a good one. And then, um, on a a larger scale, I'm a a Ted radio hour junkie. So I listen to to that a lot. Um, lots of great ideas coming out of that one.
0: What's the best advice someone's ever given you? The best,
1: the best advice someone gave me, I didn't follow. (laughs) And it, it was simply to, put, you know, put some money into an IRA when I was a teenager. My uh, neighbor, who was um, kind of like an uncle to me, was um, a pretty successful businessman, I think, you know, was an investor and whatnot. And he, uh, I, re- I, rec- I received this advice from a few people, but I remember it coming from him, you know, he would talk about try to, trying to teach me compound interest and things like that. And and of course I, I I didn't, I didn't, didn't save until much later. Um, but I think not only, not only for, you know, the growth that money would have achieved, but just from the mindset of putting that money away when you're a teenager, that you're not going to touch for 40, 50 years. That's, that's a really hard thing. That amount of time is really hard to grasp when you're young. Uh, even, even still, you know, now that I'm in my thirties, I mean, looking forward 30 years is like my entire lifespan. So, it's hard to grasp, but uh, I, I wish I followed that.
0: What's your favorite word or quote?
1: Favorite word or quote? I think um, I like the. I think it was the uh, Eleanor Roosevelt quote. Um, that? Uh, you should do one thing every day that scares you. Is that? Am I attributing that right? Um, I really. I tend to be like like all of us. I tend to be very fear driven, and um, I avoid things that I uh, would rather not do or I'm afraid of or whatnot. And yet I find that it's exactly when you do those things that you grow. Um, So I think that's been, that's been true in business and my personal life. So I like that one.
0: Awesome. What's the best way that we can get in touch with you? Uh,
1: So on moneyunder 30.com is my email address, David at moneyunder 30.com and welcome anyone to drop a note. Um, or you know, leave us a message on Facebook. Uh, either way,
0: David, you've been fantastic on the show. What is some parting piece of advice for our listeners, and then we'll say goodbye.
1: Yeah. So, my my best advice for listeners is um, kind of what I was talking about with that investing book. Is just um, you don't you don't have to be a numbers person or a spreadsheet person to learn enough about money to Uh, protect yourself and to make informed decisions about money. Uh, So I encourage people to find the media that works best for you, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog or a book, uh, and just spend a little bit of time every month learning something new about finance. And I think whether, whether it's relevant to you now or in 10 years, you'll be glad you did because those, that knowledge will lead to decisions that will save you a lot of money over your lifetime.
0: David, thanks so much for being on the show. Chainers, check out mondayunder30.com and see all the valuable resources that's available. It can make an astounding difference in your life. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Catch you on the flip side.